My name is Eva, and this is a history episode. Welcome to part four of the Anarchy. We left off as the powerful Northern England lord, Ranulf of Chester, had revolted against King Stephen. But when Stephen routed him from Lincoln Castle, Ranulf of Chester fled right into the arms of Empress Matilda and on bended knee sought her help in retaking the castle, something she was not unwilling to do because of the importance of Lincoln Castle. Lincoln Castle had been built by William the Conqueror to safeguard strategic routes crossing the East Midlands. If Ranulf of Chester could win back Lincoln, Matilda would have a powerful ally in northern England, a very important gain for her, as her primary base was in the southwest of the country, just about stretching to Oxford. But, it was said, even Ranulf of Chester, bringing such a potentially valuable gift, was received with the same aloof regality that Matilda offered many of her supporters. Who was this woman, who even by her allies was known for her haughty demeanour? Well, Matilda was born in 1102, the eldest legitimate child of King Henry I of England. So she was born in the purple, as it were, that is to say, born to a father who had already been crowned king. Well, to purists, her father's claim to the throne might have been questionable, as he had been the youngest son of William the Conqueror, and had seized the throne after his eldest, elder brother's highly suspicious death in a hunting accident in the New Forest. So when a marriage was proposed between Matilda and Henry V of Germany and Holy Roman Emperor, Henry I was delighted. This would connect his family to one of the most powerful dynasties in, in Europe, the historical, if not literal, descendants of the Holy Roman Emperors. And this would surely silence any whispers about his own regality. And so in 1110, Matilda, at the tender age of eight, left England and was betrothed to Henry V of Germany, a man of 24 years old. She was placed in the custody of an influential bishop, and the couple were first married in 1114. Upon her marriage, she formally became Empress of the Romans, as the official title was known. However, a Holy Roman Empress was supposed to be anointed as such by the Pope, but the Pope had excommunicated her husband a few years earlier when he had arrested bishops and generally interfered in church affairs. If you remember from part two of the history of the anarchy, Stephen's pledge 
to not interfere with the church was what made the church and the clergy support him in his bid for the throne. Similar conflicts were playing out on the continent. Henry V's conflict with the Pope ended in outing the Pope from Rome, and without a willing Pope at hand, it was instead a papal envoy, Maurice Baudin, who held the imperial crown over the head of Matilda in St. Peter's Basilica in 1117 and proclaimed her empress. Well, her future enemies would declare that this meant nothing, for it was not the Pope who had anointed her, and Boudin himself would later be excommunicated. Matilda and her husband, however, always maintained that they had both been properly acclaimed and were thereafter known as Emperor and Empress. Despite her young age, Matilda proved a very able governor and regent, with authority placed in her hands when her husband was called away to combat one of numerous conflicts during his reign. It was the style of German rule to utter dictates and clamp down hard on opposition. This was seen as strength. And it was this style of governance that Matilda came to know. She was considered a wise ruler in Germany, but had become a foreigner to Norman and English nobility, though she is said to have maintained good relations with her father and sought to visit him in 1122 after the death of William Adeline, her brother, but conflict prevented her. It was said by contemporaries, from historians to courtiers, that Matilda and her husband were well-matched and in good relations, but they remained childless, and no child and heir had been born when Henry V of Germany succumbed to cancer in 1125. His throne was quickly claimed by his rival, Lothar, and Matilda was left in an uncertain position at the German court, with only two options open to her, to enter a nunnery or remarry, and that would always be with someone of lower status than herself. She instead chose a third option. That would be to leave Germany for Normandy, taking with her, amongst other things, the relic of the hand of St. John the Apostle that she gave to Reading Abbey, where her father would later be buried. But her undecided status lasted until 1127, when her father arranged for her marriage to the Count of Anjou. As I mentioned in Part 2 of The Anarchy, Matilda was displeased with this match that she deemed beneath her, she an empress, him a mere count. But as I covered in part two, the marriage made sense in a wider political perspective, bringing 
into the fold, a traditional enemy of Normandy, who might now become an ally. So, Matilda reluctantly agreed to marry Geoffrey of Anjou, and this time the age gap was reversed. She was a lady of 25, marrying a youth of 13 years of age, and initially the two did not get along, quickly separating, and were only reunited in 1131 by the intervention of her father, who was then quite delighted in 1133 to receive the news of her safe delivery of her first son, and two more sons followed in quick succession. And though she was reunited with her husband, she still insisted on being addressed as Empress Matilda. When her enemies wished to rile her up, dispatches to her were titled to the Countess, which, if contemporary sources are to be believed, could leave her in a cold fury for a whole day. She had a keen sense of her own royal blood and worth, and did not take kindly to any perceived slight, as that of her father not giving her full control of the castles that she received in her dowry. This soured their otherwise cordial relationship that went from resentment to outright military campaigns against her father's allies. She was, in descriptions that favoured Stephen over her, written as autocratic, stubborn and unyielding, and though such traits might have been unladylike and not wanted in a queen, they were not necessarily unwanted in a king. While Stephen, as I said in part three, is much scrutinised by historians, Matilda is far less so. Though some modern historians have gone back to her now, notably Dr. Helen Castor, who has described her vividly, highlighting her constant need to remind her supporters that she was not just a figurehead for her husband, but a queen in her own right. And this might account for her need to be regal, bordering on haughty with many, including Ranulph of Chester. And so we return to Ranulph of Chester, who had escaped the siege of Lincoln Castle, but had, perhaps conveniently, left his wife behind. And his wife was Maud, daughter of Matilda's formidable half-brother, Robert of Gloucester. Ranulph of Chester was known as a highly ambitious and very crafty fox, and leaving his wife in Lincoln might have been the very ploy he needed to get Robert of Gloucester's attention. And it worked, for Robert was more than willing to come to his daughter's aid and thereby lift the siege on Lincoln Castle. By January 1141, Robert and Ranulph had surrounded Stephen's position at Lincoln. Stephen still lay siege to Lincoln. This made the erstwhile besiegers now the besieged. 
Stephen's counselors advised withdrawal. However, King Stephen chose to give battle and did so on the morning of February the 2nd, 1141. King Stephen himself was not an accomplished orator, so the battle rousing was given over to Stephen's lieutenant, Baldwin Fitzgilbert. But even as his words filled the men with courage, the air carried the ominous sounds of horses galloping towards them with the shouts of men ready to join battle. It was Ranulf, first to charge towards Stephen's cavalry, followed by Robert of Gloucester, who had, as the chronicler William of Malmesbury said, brought a depressingly large amount of the Welsh to fight the king. Stephen's men were outnumbered from the onset, and while some fled the field early on, Stephen, their lord and king, remained in the thick of battle, fighting on foot when his horse fell. And when his sword shattered, he switched to his large Norse axe, and still he fought on. He was not for nothing known as courageous in battle. And it was only as he was physically surrounded by Gloucester's men and hit on the head with a rock that he fell dazed to the ground and was unarmed. And there... Stephen, King of England, was taken prisoner by Robert of Gloucester. Robert took his captive first to Empress Matilda in Gloucester. Then Stephen was taken to Bristol, the traditional holding place for important prisoners. He was held very comfortably at Bristol Castle, and the plan was that this was to be his life until his last breath. But when it transpired that Stephen was adept at bribing and persuading his guards to let him be, as it was written, in places he should not have been, like outside and at night, Robert of Gloucester put his royal captive in chains. So, the king was Matilda's captive, in her half-brother's castle. Lincoln Castle was again in the hands of Ranulph of Chester and held for Princess Matilda, while Miles of Gloucester, a man whom modern historians do not cast that great a spotlight on, but whom contemporaries held in as high esteem or dread, depending on which side you are on, as Robert of Gloucester had through hard fighting secured Matilda a land passage from Oxford to Winchester to just outside London. At last, the time had come when she could kneel in Westminster Abbey, be anointed by the highest clergy of the land, and crowned Queen of England. The march was on for London. And there I shall leave it for today. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a like as it really helps to get the podcast seen as it grows week from week. And I thank you all for that, all of you who are uh, followers who keep coming back. Thank you so much. Next time, the Battle of the Matildas. Stephen's wife, Queen Matilda, confronts the Empress Matilda 
as the anarchy rages on. Until then, I have been Eva, and thanks so much for listening.